Red Rocks Austin, welcome. Man, it feels good in this room. Thank you for being here. My name is Ethan. If I have not uh, ever had the chance to meet you, I would love to. And I'm thankful that you're here. I feel like what we're talking about as a church right now is crucially important. I think we're at a pivotal point, and I think it's vital to your life. And I know that's a big way to start, just coming in hot. But we're looking around right now, and we feel like we have to say something like this every week. I think every conversation we have, like this world is crazy. Political division. We see racial injustice and inequality. We see people in economic crisis. A pandemic that is just wreaking havoc. Families that are mourning, lost, grief. And, and I've been convicted. It's easy to get into a mentality of just like, you know what? Things are just going to get worse. It's just the way it is. So I'm just going to kind of put up my boundaries and keep away from everything and stay away from the world and stay away from people while they act like them because I'm just going to stay safe. It's all just going to get worse from here. And you can make a strong biblical case that the darkness will grow. The fallout from sin may get worse. But I see the church rising. I don't see the church self-destructing in the story. I see the church being maybe the lone light left in this world. I have a son who's one year old and I just think about, we have got to leave something better for our kids. We have got to leave something better for the next generations and that might feel impossible, but through God, all things are possible. And if you are his people, then you are a part of his impossible, possible plan. You are called into that. We look around, it's like kids in a classroom, like the teacher the teacher's gonna solve this problem, right? The teacher's out there. We think of adults in our society. We look at government, politicians, prominent people, celebrities, billionaires, geniuses, and we think like, surely some group of adults is gonna get this sorted out. And I don't mean to sound cynical, but it may, may not happen that way. It doesn't look like it to me. But there is a body of people who carry a hope that is beyond this world. There is a body of people who have joy that cannot be taken away by the moments that we face on this fallen side of things. There is a body of people, the disciples of Jesus, called to be known by our love. And this world desperately needs it. The church doesn't self-destruct. The church doesn't go away. The church grows stronger and thrives in the midst of difficult times, in the midst of trials. And so what, what does that look like individually? We need people in this world that are experiencing God. We need people who are regularly coming together, worshiping, experience him, cracking open their Bibles, experiencing him, late night prayers, feeling his presence, feeling what he feels about you so you can give that away to the world. We need people to find family. For you to find family so you're not doing this alone, walking through this life by yourself, but that also means, find family means we as believers, we go find our family. Our brothers and sisters who are lost and hurt, broken, we go find them. You read the story of the prodigal son and you think of that older brother and you're just like, why didn't you go get your brother? He was lost, the world was growing darker, things were going darker for him. You're his brother, go get him, go find him. And thankfully we have that story to learn from and we can be those people who will go find our family. You need to discover the purpose that God uniquely put in your life so that you can step into his plan so that more people, so you can go lead more people to experience God, to find family, to discover their purpose, to go lead somebody to experience God, to find family. This isn't like slick verbiage to get you to help out around our church. This is discipleship. This is the people of God looking and acting and being more like Jesus and the world needs it. And so today we're gonna, we're gonna hone in on pur the purpose of you. 
There's a story of this woman named Esther. I promise I won't make you stand for the whole sermon, but I just want to sit in this moment for a second. This woman, Esther, in a very difficult time, she's kind of looking around in her situation like somebody's going to solve this. Somebody's going to do something, right? And a person close to Esther asks her, could it be that you have been placed in the position you're in for such a time as this? And so maybe we, as people alive in 2021, need to lament less that we're alive in this crazy era of history and feel the honor and the privilege that God created you, made you, put you on this earth right now for such a time as this. When everyone's saying the world's just gonna grow darker and we say, then we will grow all the more in light. The light will grow. And we are all invited to be a part of that. And my prayer for you this week and my prayer for you right now is that you would walk out of here today knowing that you uniquely, you have been crafted with purpose. And so Jesus, would you speak right now? Would you move right now? Would you speak purpose in this place? I pray that your sons and daughters would hear your voice and experience you. In Jesus' name, amen. Take a seat. So I titled this message, The Miracle of You. And people from maybe my generation are having a little health class PTSD right now because of a video called The Miracle of Life that maybe you watched in a junior high class like I did, which was the, the story and the visual video of a baby being born. And as a 12 or 13 year old, I just thought, all right, well, I'm just gonna take my eyeballs out of my head and give them to my teacher. I don't want those anymore. I don't wanna ever see anything again. Couldn't appreciate the miracle that life is as a middle schooler, and I don't think most human beings appreciate the miracle that simply being here is. I think that most of us just kind of get into life and we just do our thing. We work the job we work, we live in the place we live, we hang out with the people that we hang out with, and then we do that for a number of years and that was life. And very rarely do we stop and think about the purpose of why we're here. Or maybe for a lot of people, we doubt that there is any. We look at ourselves, our flaws, our failures, and we think, I guess I just go through life, but there's no way that God would want anything to do with me. I felt that way many times in my life, maybe most of all when I was a college student. And I was um, pursuing college purpose with everything in me. All the things that you're supposed to pursue, right? Parties, girls, get that degree. You're gonna go make a ton of money so you can do whatever you want and not have to deal with anybody else. And as I was on that pursuit, it kept leaving me feeling void, void of purpose. I'm like frustrated. I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to be doing. I'm trying the world. The purpose that our culture is preaching to me, I don't feel full. I don't feel much purpose to my life. And right in this crucial time, God caught my attention. Another story for another day, but I was invited to a college ministry by some friends and shout out to everybody that invited somebody today because it changed my life when somebody invited me. And I was at a point of desperation of really questioning, why am I here? Does it really matter that I'm alive? Is there a purpose to this? So I was like, sure, I'll go. And what happened is I experienced God, his presence in a way that I couldn't describe. Songs that we sang, things said in sermons. I started to 
to feel him in my life, to experience him, this loop started for me. And at the same time, it was starting for Doug and for Ryan. And uh, we got invited to be in a group soon after this. And we tell this story a lot, but we begrudgingly drove to that first group, made a pact that we would never stop partying no matter what these Christian guys told us. And we walked into that room and that night we found family. Not expecting to, but we found family that saw things in us, that saw purpose in us, that called things out of us, that pushed us to be better, that made us believe that God really had us here for a reason. And we wanted more people to find that. We started seeing gifts in ourselves that we didn't even believe. We started seeing opportunities to lead and, and things that we never would have dreamed of. And this, so this loop is very personal for us, but in the midst of this loop, in the midst of being a disciple of Jesus, you can probably relate that there are many times where you kind of fall out. You fall out of the loop. You do something and you start to disqualify yourself and think, that wasn't real. God doesn't really want to use me. I don't belong in this family. They're better off without me. And I, I was reading this book and this quote from Francis Chan, right in that moment, I can remember being in my room as a college student reading this. If you are still alive on this planet, it's because he has something for you to do. He placed us on this earth for purposes that he orchestrated long before we were born. Do you believe you exist not for your own pleasure, but to help people know the love of Jesus and to come fully alive in him? If so, then that will shape how you live your life in the place where you are. And as I was reading that, I was like, well, there is breath in my lungs. I am alive right now. And when I am coming alive in Jesus, those are the moments where I feel like I'm experiencing the abundance life, abundant life that people have been telling me is possible. When I see my friends experiencing that, man, I want that for more people. It started to shift how I thought about things and think like, maybe God really would use me. Maybe there is purpose bigger than me that I could plug into. I was also starting to read the Bible. And these two passages really stuck out to me, like circling them, highlighting like, man, I wonder if anyone's ever noticed that Jesus said this. Two of the most famous passages in all of scripture, but I didn't know. Sitting on an overlook of Boulder, I can remember reading the Great Commission. Then Jesus came to them, his disciples, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And I was like, light bulb. Oh, I remember talking to Doug about this passage, Jesus has walked out of a tomb. He hands his ministry to his disciples and says, now you go tell everybody about me. You go show everybody in the world my love. Go preach that good news of the gospel. And we were like, oh, so that's what we do. That is the purpose of our lives. Yeah. It was boom, light bulb moment. Right around then, read the great commandment. It says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. That's Jesus and Pharisees. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now, pause real quick, because here's what I hear in this question. These guys always love to get into it with Jesus. They were trying to find a reason to kill him, get him to say something he shouldn't, something blasphemous. But I also hear, in this teacher of the law asking this question, I hear desperation. Because these guys have built their entire purpose on religion, on control, on being better than other people, on earning their way as imperfect people to a perfect God, which deep down I think we all realize is impossible on our own. And so I hear this guy looking at Jesus and like, man, 
everything you're saying, everything you're teaching, everything you're doing, it's reshaping how people are thinking of God and us, what it means to be a human, what a relationship with him means. Jesus, could you just define this for us? What are we supposed to do? What are we here for? What is the purpose of us? What's the greatest commandment? What would you tell us if you had a one-liner, Jesus? And Jesus says the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And that might sound kind of vague and big picture, but I felt like it brought some clarity to this. Go preach the good news of like tangibly and personally, you are invited to a loving relationship with God that will overflow into the lives of the people around you. Jesus says, your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, you individually, different than the person sitting next to you, different than a sibling, your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, your heart, the things that you feel, your affection, turn it to God, your pain, the depression, those feelings, bring them to God, operate in relationship with him when it comes to your heart, your soul, the essence of who you are as you get filled up by his presence, as you spend time with him and you go places, people will sense something different and it's the spirit of God, your essence will be of him. Your mind uniquely thinks just how your mind thinks, has capabilities that only your mind does. Channel your thoughts. Channel the things that you can create in your mind, the solutions that you could think of, the opportunities, the dreams. That mind was crafted by your heavenly father. Your strength, your power, your might, your energy, everything you put your hand to, do it as unto him. And as you live this life with your unique self in a loving relationship with God, you will love your neighbor. And through your efforts, you will tangibly show them the love of Jesus so that everybody will hear this good news. Started to catch the picture of the giant purpose of why we're here. I was talking to a buddy of mine this week. His name's Josh. And he is the U.S. executive director of an organization called the Footstool Project and they work amongst unreached peoples in the Himalayas. People who have never heard the name Jesus. There's no local church. There's no Bible in their language. They've never heard the name Jesus. And this organization is finding ways to show the love of Christ to them, to go tell them the good news. And when I hear about something like that, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's incredible. And I picture the missionary, the evangelist, that apostle pioneer, who's risking their life and creates and builds relationships and finds a bridge in and has the opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus that's never had access to a Bible or a church in their life. And I think what we do is we, we hear of a story like that or we hear, see somebody on a stage and minimize ourselves. Like, well, they're the ones doing the heavy lifting, but I'm just, I'm just good at tech solutions, right? So I asked Josh, I was like, okay, the end goal, the amazing story is that people start to know the love of Jesus that have never been told about it before. Yes. How many gifts and how many people go into that process to make that conversation possible? 
And he, we just started listing things off. People with administrative gifts, gifts of leadership that set up an organization that deal with logistics. People who work hard and make money and give to an organization like that to help get people to those places. People with wisdom and discernment to help them navigate relationships with government. The thing that he emphasized the most was the people who are praying. That there have been people praying for years and years before for these areas of the world where there are people who don't know, who don't have access to the gospel, that spiritual walls would come down. And as they have prayed those breakthrough prayers, breakthrough has happened. And they continue to pray and sustain the people that go there, that reach there. There are people who disciple, equip, train. There are web developers, graphic designers, photographers who help tell the story, cooks, cleaners, they are very about the great commandment of tangibly showing the love to people as they go to them with good news. Medical professionals who bring medical care that they've never had access to. Teachers who plant themselves up in a remote village and teach at a school. Engineers who thought of things like clean water filters. People with agricultural skills that can help farmers so their families can survive in difficult places, people with minds who can learn languages and translate scripture into other languages where it's never been translated before. All of this working together for the Great Commission, all the way to the guy who flies the helicopter, who trained, who used his gifts and his mind to make it possible to transport somebody to a place where they've never heard the name Jesus before. Josh said, if you can think of a gift, if you can think of a skill, if you can think of a job, it is applicable to the Great Commission. We so often overlook the possibilities within ourselves, or we'll read the Bible, right? Yeah, well, the Abraham, he had this amazing gift of faith. David had this amazing gift of worship. Joshua had this amazing gift of leadership. Paul, his purpose was in the wrong place, and then he was this entrepreneur, apostle, and God was like, hey, you can make things work. Let's make some churches work. Those are the big heavy hitters. Those are the big stories. I'm not like one of them. And so I was listing off this week some people in the Bible who maybe are mentioned a little less but contribute in these amazing, unique ways themselves, like Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses. Everything is a mess. Organizationally, this Israelite camp, disaster, and Jethro comes to Moses with the gift of wisdom and says, here's how a system could work here. Here's how things could work better. Uses his mind to help him. Two guys that you don't remember, and you'll know that I've never paid attention to them because I don't know how to say their names. Bezalel and Oholiab. We're in like the Leviticus, Exodus time where they're putting together the tabernacle where the presence of God will be. Every skilled person whom the eternal one has gifted with expertise and wisdom in order to build the sanctuary shall use these gifts as the eternal one has directed, Moses goes to the creative team. He goes to the craftsmen, to the production guys. And he says, hey, you have the minds and the ability to make something so much more beautiful, to build a place for the presence of God. And those two guys are mentioned in scripture. Matthew, the guy who we get the gospel account of Matthew from. Administrative, numbers guy, details guy, not the sexy stuff in ministry, right? But that dude paid so much attention, had a mind like his, that he left us this incredible account that ties so many things to prophecies foretold. That's, that paints this picture of this is who 
we've been waiting for, this Jesus. And I bet you that he kept the books in the early church. He was a tax collector. Somebody had to pay attention to how we're going to pay for Peter to get to that place. And it wasn't Peter. There's a guy in the early church, Barnabas, the encourager. His name was actually Joseph, but they changed his name to Barnabas, which means encourager, because he was so encouraging. His gift was so prominent that they changed his name. And in a time when the church needed encouragement in the midst of suffering and persecution, Barnabas was there encouraging. Priscilla and Aquila, Paul's friends, this power couple, they helped sustain the early church and his ministry through tent making. They were business people, and they mentored tons of young people in the church. The early church would not be the same if it was not for that power couple. There's this woman, Lydia, when Paul shows up to Philippi, and this woman experiences God, and she goes, more people need to know about this Jesus. More people. So I've been a successful businesswoman. Come to my house. Welcome home. The gift of hospitality. She opens up her home, and the church of Philippi starts meeting right there. All of these amazing, unique individual people skilled and gifted and purposed in different ways so that we can take the name of Jesus to everybody, to everybody. And so that brings me to you. We have this grand corporate vision, right? All together, this great commission. And then individually, you're gonna love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You're gonna love your neighbor. But I think a lot of us are like, yeah, but what am I supposed to do? I work at this company, do I have to quit my job that I love and what I'm passionate about and go work at your church and I'll hate it? I think we outthink how God made us all the time. So I'd ask you two simple questions as you start to navigate purpose maybe in your life. Question one, what are you good at? What are the things that you're gifted at that you just put your hand to and it just works, that you're a natural in? What are you good at? There's a reason for that. Somebody made you to be good at those things. Somebody gave you those skills. Other question, what are you passionate about? There are so many ways to show somebody the love of Jesus. What are you passionate about? What keeps you up at night? Dreaming? Maybe feeling overwhelmed and sad when you see things in the world and think, there's a solution for that. That could be better. What are you passionate about? Ryan and I were talking about this, and he said it's like the things that you're good at, those gifts, when they intersect with your passions, that's where you're finding your calling. And it's unique to you. What would it look like to plug your unique gifts and passions into the Great Commission, into a relationship with God? What are you good at, and what are you passionate about? And I, I'm cautious a lot in church to talk about you because we always want to remind ourselves that this is all about God. This is all about what Jesus has done. But at the same time, I think it is so paramount that you understand the significance that you exist. And I look around and I think that our, we always think like people are so narcissistic and everyone's about themselves. Everybody makes everything about them. But I don't think that's because we all have such a clear, confident purpose. I don't think that we're out there grabbing at likes and follows and trying to get as much attention as we can because we're so confident in our purpose. I think the people who are truly confident in the purpose that they're living are too busy living it to care about how many likes and follows and how much attention they're getting for it. 
And so for the rest of us human beings, I feel like we are desperately always asking, why am I here? Can somebody pay attention to me, please? Somebody like this photo so I at least feel validated that somebody knows that I exist. Somebody give me a little purpose. And we look to all these places where just like I have found in my life, we are left still feeling void. Because there is one behind your life with the ultimate purpose, with the abundant life that you crave. And my hope is that you will walk out of here confident in the unique purpose in your life. So I wanna ask a question. I want you to be bold. Raise your hands. If you have ever questioned that you matter, that it matters that you're alive right now, if you've ever questioned that, if you've ever questioned that there is purpose to you, unique purpose within you. Yeah, I think all of humanity, if we're honest, have had moments of asking those questions. So I wanna ask you right here, you bravely raised your hand, would you come up here for a second onto this stage? I'm not gonna make you do or say anything. Yeah, would you come up here? Would you tell me your name? That's the only thing I'll make you say. Paige, can we give it up for Paige? Paige is going to be, you can sit right here. She's going to be our picture right now of the miracle. The miracle that she exists, just as she is. And I don't know you, Paige. I'm Ethan. Nice to meet you. This is the weirdest way you've probably ever met somebody. Your first time here. here. You're either always coming back or never coming back. There's no in between. Uh, I don't know your story. But because you boldly raised your hand, which we all would if we're honest, I imagine you have questioned that you matter, that there's purpose to you, your existence. You've questioned, does it even matter what I'm doing? And I would guess because you're a human being that there have been people in your life who have done and said things to you that have made you question that further, who have made you feel less worth, who have made you feel like you have less purpose than somebody else or maybe none at all. And so what I want to do right now is illustrate to you, Paige, how miraculous it is simply that you're here right now, okay? I did some research for you, and I honestly prayed that God would just, in the moment, I would just know who to point to, and for some reason, it's you. So I think today there's something significant that he wants to show you about how purposeful he made you, that it matters that you're here. So I looked up, what are the odds of you existing uniquely as you? You can turn a little bit so you can see this, okay? What are the odds of Paige existing uniquely as Paige? And the quick answer I saw was one in 400 trillion. That's what some scientists say. I'm like, well, that's more than one in a million. Don't really know how to fathom what that means, but that's crazy, okay? One in, that's what some would say. Then there's this funny way that people explain our human existence and you uniquely being you as um, if you threw a life preserver into the ocean, just somewhere in the ocean, and then a random turtle that lives somewhere else in the ocean decided to pop his head up to the surface, if he did that through the life preserver in the entire ocean, that's the odds of you being uniquely you, okay? I don't know why somebody thought of that, but there's this guy, Dr. Ali Benazir, and he got intrigued by the same question I'm asking. So he heard that, and he thought, well, we could calculate that. We know how much water is in the ocean, the surface area, and we know the size of a turtle and a life preserver. He came up with one in 700 trillion. 
So the odds are even getting crazier, but he wasn't satisfied with that because we're talking about a turtle and a life preserver. So he said, I'm going to actually, from a scientific mathematical background, go put some probabilities to the process of Paige being Paige, of you being here. Okay, well, it starts with uh, your parents, your biological parents had to meet in the first place, right? Just meet each other. So based on uh, time and space and confining people to a certain part of the world and averages of how many people you meet and encounter, he calculated that the odds of your biological parents meeting would be about 1 in 20,000, okay, of them just meeting. Okay, well, we know that that has to go from they met, and however the process worked, they ended up having a child together. I'm talking about, like, dates and getting to know each other. We know how the process works, but... The odds of your parents going from meeting to having a child, he calculated about 1 in 2,000. So already, we're at 1 in 40 million, okay? Just from your parents meeting to having a child. Here's where things start to get crazy. We're going a little middle school health. I know we got some young people in here, but you're going to hear it from somebody. Um, Sorry, it's me. We're talking biological here. The reproductive process is incredible. I couldn't appreciate that in junior high. But he estimated from your biological mother a pool of about 100,000 eggs. All of those don't ovulate in a lifetime, but from that, some of them do. So that's the starting pool for that. And from your biological father, in the time period, it's most likely that a child would be conceived about 4 trillion sperm. So the odds of a single sperm, that was you. If it was a different one, it'd be somebody else. A single sperm and that egg that ovulated at the right time of that month, those two meeting, the odds of that are one in 400 quadrillion. 17 zeros. Okay? And this journey of this happening, it's like a war movie where, like, the woman's body, the defense mechanisms just start killing sperm. No joke. This, this guy is going through, and his comrades are literally having their heads chopped off. I'm not making this up. This is biology. 90% are dead like that. By the time the sperm reached the uterus, 99% are dead. 1,000 are dying with each heartbeat. If you scaled up one sperm to human size, they tra- this, this one traveled 200 miles. Okay? And then, after... That movie, that war movie, has to perfectly swim to find this egg in an almost impossible task where the egg helps it to join, and that formed a zygote, okay? That zygote then at month number one was already forming a heart. Your heart was forming. You had a heartbeat starting. Month one, month two, bones and face were starting to take shape. Month three, your arms, feet, and organs were taking shape. Month four, you had a nervous system up and running. Month five, your muscles were developing, your hair was growing. Month six, you had the hiccups. Month seven, you could hear sounds and respond to light. Month eight, your eyes were working and your brain was leaping in development. Month nine, you could blink and your lungs were working. And around that time, you, once smaller than a grain of rice, now were born as a baby with systems and organs and blood and a brain that thinks the way that yours does with gifts that were to be seen in your lifetime with the smile that you have, the laugh that you have, the things that interest you, the things you're passionate about. That process happened. One in 400 quadrillion odds that it was you. And that's not the crazy part because that had to happen 
for your biological parents and for their biological parents and for their biological parents, you had to have an unbroken lineage through history. We're talking about most of history where people lived outside. Babies were born on the ground. There was no technology. There was no medical care. Wars and natural disasters, life expectancies much lower than they are now. The odds of people for most of history just living to reproductive age were about one in two. 50-50 shot. And through all of human history, the perfect two people met and had a kid together to lead to you. And he calculated those odds, just of that piece of this, as one in 10 to the power of 45,000. That number is not just larger than all the particles in the universe. It's larger than all the particles in the universe if each particle were itself a universe. Yeah, don't act like you understood that. (laughs) Both services, people are like nodding, like, "Mm -hmm." mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's close. (laughs) That's not the crazy part. Because this was just that the right two people met and had a kid together, but I didn't include the part about the perfect sperm and perfect egg every single time to create somebody who eventually led to you. And the odds of that are 1 in 10 to the power of 2,640,000. I think this guy said that the amount of zeros that is is enough to fill 11 300-page books. That's how many zeros there are. So we're, we're in numbers that we can't really even understand. But let's combine it all. Your parents had to meet. They had to go from meeting to having a child. There had to be an unbroken lineage leading to you. And each time that conception had to be the perfect one to lead to you uniquely, you, Paige. The total that he came up with was 1 in 10 to the power of 2,685,000. And for some of you that will go look this up, just a side note, you'll say, you might say, I disagree with his human history time period and how many generations he thinks that there have been. So for your sake, I calculated a very, very low number of, say, 100 generations of human beings through human history. And when I put that number in, I was Russell Crowe from A Beautiful Mind, like, Doug, does this make sense? And he was like, no. (laughs) What? The number I came up with, smaller than this, was still, when I put it into a scientific calculator, it just, it just, the calculator said back to me, infinity. One in infinity, either way. Probability, people would say, oh, it's zero. It's impossible. There's no way that Paige would be Paige. Let me put this number into perspective for a second. The number of atoms in my body is 10 to the power of 27. Number of atoms. Number of atoms making up the earth, 10 to the 50th power. Number of atoms making up the universe, 10 to the 80th power. And we're all like, no way. That seems like too small of a number. But picture 80 zeros. We don't know what that number even is. And we're talking in the millions of zeros. The other way that he explained how unlikely it is the probability that Paige was born as Paige would be about like this. Two million people, so the great, greater Austin metro area, okay? People in the city, but also the suburbs. We're talking metro area. Every single person, two million people, are all given a trillion-sided die, like a dice that you roll. Normally, they have six sides. This would have a trillion sides. So another thing we can't really picture. But at the same time, two million of us, we roll our trillion-sided dies, and they all come up with the same number. He said, for example, two million people roll the number 
$550,343,279,001. All of us in this room and then everybody else in this entire city roll a trillion sided die and they all show up the same number. And so he concluded this. A miracle is an event so unlikely as to be almost impossible. By that definition, I've just proven that you are a miracle. Now go forth and feel and act like the miracle that you are, Paige. Behind those numbers, this crazy journey, this crazy process, all these things that had to happen for you to be here is a creator, a creator. Psalm 139, for you created me, my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You are fearfully and wonderfully, miraculously made, Paige. God looks at his people in difficult times. And he says, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Jesus looks at a world around him of people who are worried, do I matter, is there a purpose to me? And he says, indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. The God who is bigger than that number we were just talking about knows the number of hairs on your head, Paige. Ryan hit this last week, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved, Paige. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus put a cross on his back and he walked up a hill and he willingly gave up his life for Paige, for you. Wanted to do it so that you could have eternal life with him to take everything that you've ever felt disqualified you from his presence. He took that because you're his child. First John 3, 1. See what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what you are. Esther in the time that she lived in and now to you with your life, the way that you are, the gifts you have, the passions you have, could it be, who knows, whether you have not come here to the place you are for such a time as this, to this church, to Austin, Texas, the people that surround you? Could it be? I think that probability tells us yes, for such a time as this, that for God it was 100% odds that you'd be here, that he would show you his love, that he would call you into his family, 100%. Could it be? I think so. And so, Paige, in light of probability, science and math telling us you're a miracle, the God who created you telling you you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I know the very hairs on your head. Don't you dare question the worth of you. Don't you dare question if you matter. Don't you dare question if there's purpose for you. Don't you dare question the gifts and the passions that God created in you uniquely. Don't you dare question if he loves you. Don't you dare question if he puts you here for a reason. And don't you dare with these gifts and passions and the breaths that he's given you, don't you dare play small in this life. 
Don't you dare play small with what he's given you because he has brought you here fearfully, wonderfully made, just as you are, loves you and took care of everything that would make you disqualify yourself. He's taken care of that and he calls you and says, you are my child and I love you and I made you just as you are. So don't you dare play small. Don't you dare doubt that it matters that you're here right now. And church, so that we can mark this moment for Paige, so that Paige never forgets a family of people who told her you are a miracle. There is so much purpose within you. Can we make some noise for Paige? Let me pray for you. I'm gonna pray for Paige. Could you guys extend a handout and then we'll deal with the rest of you. Jesus, I thank you for Paige. I thank you that you made her uniquely, that all through human history, so many things had to happen, odds that we can't even wrap our brains around, that two million trillion sided dies were rolled and they came up, Paige. I thank you for her life. I thank you for the way you made her. I thank you that you love her and that you died for her and you rose to give her eternal life with you. I pray blessing over her life. I pray that she would never spend another night, another sad morning, doubting whether it matters that she's here, doubting the gifts that are within her, doubting the passions that she has, doubting if it matters that she exists because God, as you have shown us today, Paige is a miracle. And we praise you for her life in Jesus' name, amen. Give it up for Paige. So I'm scanning the room, every single one of you, all the way in the back, same odds for you. You too are a fearfully, wonderfully made miracle. Your heavenly father knows you, he crafted you, he made you uniquely with your gifts and your passions and your purpose. So church, don't you dare doubt if you matter. Don't you dare listen to the lies of this world or the lies of other people that would tell you that you don't matter or that you don't have purpose. Don't you dare ever question it again. Math and science and God just came together to show you that you matter so much. You matter to miraculous levels. You were made with gifts and passions in church. Don't you dare play small with them because there are people in this world because of your gifts and your passions that will come to know that they too are miracles, that they too were one in 10 to the power of 2,685,000 miracles. You are that and now you go, you go and you tell everybody in this world that they too are a miracle. So we're gonna sing a song right now. It's got a lot of words, there's a lot of moving parts, but it's all about creation and God and the wonder of who he is. And I pray that right now in this time, it would cement in you the purpose in you. I'm looking at you, the purpose in you, the gifts in you, the passions in you. Right now in this song, let the words be sung over you or stand up and praise a God who knows everything about you, who's bigger than those numbers and yet delights in your individual praises to him and the things that you sing and the things that you say, the things about you, he delights in you. So let's stand to our feet. Jesus, would you, would you hit us in the face right now with how much we matter to you? 
Would you speak purpose? Would you speak uniquely and individually? Would people who don't even believe in you in this room experience you right now in a way that they can't even understand? I thank you, Jesus. I thank you that you love us. I thank you for Paige and the picture that she is for all of us of the miracle that we are. And we offer our praise to you, our heavenly father who took the time and the care to make us. In Jesus' name, amen.